VHS and chill. Because you know you get like the cardboard sleeve of VHSs in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Could you just use one of them? <laughs> Where you'd write in pen felt tip, like mother's poisoning vid. I... But instead she put it in like a little elegant carved wooden trinket case <laughs> that just happened to fit a VHS. Oh, sorry, I spent ages trying to find the trying to find the perfect case. The most symbolic case I could. <laughs> trying to find the most atmospheric case. Tension. Why don't you just use the cardboard sleeve? You know the accident up there? Yeah. Someone got hurt. They did? A lady. She broke her neck. Oh my god, but you can see her? Yes. Where is she? Standing next to my window. Hello everyone, and welcome again to Reviews from the Closet, the bi-weekly film podcast where three friends sit in a closet and review an absolute classic from the 80s, and the 90s, or maybe even the noughties. Uh, I'm Rudy Davis, one of the hosts, and with me as always is a little a little Irish cherub that goes by the name of Rasheen M. Mulligan. <laughs> Rasheen Knight Mulligan. Thank you Rasheen very much. Knight Mulligan. That's a little Easter egg there. <laughs> How you doing, Rasheen? Uh, I'm very well. I'm feeling especially cheruby today. Yep. Because you're looking it, it. it uh, well, <laughs> thank you. I was going to get to that, but you jumped straight in there. Um, it's a very hot day, and mm. so my rosy cheeks are more vibrant than ever. And of course, my ringlets are in oh, full force. Those ringlets, God. And uh, that little Aussie uh, chuckle you're hearing this over one. there. How you doing, Jeff? Correct. Very well. Good, guys. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're, you're both good in spite of this incessant heat in the city. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a bit of a setup. So today's film, 1999. Mm, again. Uh, again. So the last one we did was also 1999. So I'm going to take a slightly different approach to, to setting the scene. So Kelsey Mines back. The year before the break of the new millennium. And it was a pretty seismic year, wasn't it? And I mean that literally, as there were earthquakes in Colombia, Turkey, Athens, Taiwan, and Vanuatu. Oh, no wonder everyone thought the world was about to end. Exactly, yeah. Not Vanuatu. And Vanuatu, yeah. Do you think it was the Y2K? Do you think it was the millennium? It was the, it was the tremors of the World Wide Web. Yeah, uh-huh. those five blocks of cables <laughs> under the under the ocean. Uh, then, Jeff, in your neck of the woods, there was oh. a pretty big event, wasn't there? Down under. Sydney 2000, I hope you're talking mm, about. No. Yeah, I guess that no. was one year later. Yeah. <laughs> 1999, you, uh, you had some ideas above your station, didn't you? You wanted to rec- become a republic. You personally. Ah, yeah. Roundly defeated, you kept the queen. Yes, I think in, it was like in '99. Was it? Correct me if I'm wrong. 55, 45. It was well. It was a landslide. Um, it was also a very musical ne- uh, year, wasn't it? '99, as you'll remember. I did say that last podcast. Wow. I believe Snoop Dogg released his fourth album. <laughs> yep. In '1999. Um, well, uh, music changed forever in 1999. Millennium. No, nope. the distribution of music changed forever in 1999. Oh, Napster. Napster. <laughs> um, so I am, of course, uh, setting up the M. Night Shyamalan. 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 Uh, well, his breakthrough, possibly his best film, because the others have been pretty shit. Uh, <laughs> the Sixth Sense. Yes. I always uh, struggled to say this one. The Sixth Sense. Oh, I thought you were going to say M. Night Shyamalan. No, I, well, that and, just rolls off the tongue, yeah. that one. Because <laughs> well, I with, don't think that's well, how you Bosnia say it. Well, with Bosnia and Herzegovina. 
and like Shyamalan writing his new film yeah. in Bosnia <laughs> I like to warm up just saying M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> but no The Sixth Sense what a fucking banger what a debut right I mean to write and direct and can I just say gates. he yeah. was 28 when what? he did all that wow Rudy he was younger than both you and I he's my uh, he's my floor limit for women I date Age-wise, oh, yeah. not film, not filmology, but filmography-wise, <laughs> mate, six nominations, yeah, for Pretty what? Big for yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Wait, Oscar nominations? Yes, really. Went for best picture, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah. Do you know what won ninety-nine? Uh, Just quick, uh, Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare in Love. What? I think that won two thousand because it came out in ninety-nine. No way. Well, there you go. Should we get Thruston? Act one. We have Malcolm Crow. Joined by his lovely wife, Anna Crow. Drinking on a wine. Toasting some recent success. Looking at one of the best frames I ever did see. Uh, thank you for <laughs> calling out the frame. So I put star, admiring picture frame, brackets, $400. So they admire... Yes, they're admiring the picture frame. <laughs> the picture and Anne, Anne, is it Anne or Anna? It Anna. is Anna. Anna. That's a really expensive frame. Gas mm-hmm. $400. Can I ask you guys a question? Uh, Anna Crow. In your opinion, is she a classic 90s wife devoid mm. of personality or no? Well, she's very supportive and very homely. And she also says in one of her first lines, honey, don't make jokes. <laughs> what about? <laughs> Just generally. I think he, because he. You know, like, I hate laughing. <laughs> there are no jokes in my house. Because uh, I think he makes a joke about like the frame and he's, he's trying to make light of the situation. And she says that he sacrificed her. He sacrificed everything to get this frame. <laughs> yeah, because it was about getting the frame, wasn't it? That's what they were so obsessed about. That was the resolution for a different movie. Like, you've never like explained though why they were so obsessed with getting that picture frame. Well, they did like, say it was it was the city saying thank you for his work in child psychology. Here's this picture frame. <laughs> Here is this frame. <laughs> no, but I thought they were just um, <laughs> they were just desiring that picture frame. Like that's why. He a band like um, had to spend so much time away from her, dedicate his whole life to getting that picture frame. Did I misunderstand it? <laughs> that was the sixth sense, yeah. part one, the yeah. fifth sense. <laughs> they retire that conversation upstairs uh, where they get a bit frisky, start to kiss on the bed, loving, loving couple. Nothing, nothing wrong here, but <laughs> there's a noise. There's a light on in the bathroom. What? What's that? It's one Marky Mark Wahlberg's brother, Donny. Donny. <laughs> Otherwise known as disturbed mental patient from the past, Vincent Gray. <laughs> and we quickly find out he He's was a former patient of mm. one Malcolm Crow. Yeah, and victim of a broken family. Right. And mm. this man is just so startling. And I think it, uh, it sets the tone for the rest of the movie, which is just continually startling. <laughs> In every scene, I was startled. <laughs> had you seen this before? You had, right? Yes. Yeah. But still... Yeah, alarming. Do you think Donnie Wahlberg was overacting a little bit? Because uh, he was taking the part really seriously to get his foot in the door he, as an he actor. He lost a shit ton of weight, yeah, didn't he, right, in order yeah. to, to really play up the part where he stands in someone's bathroom yeah. for five minutes. But he does play it very well. I was impressed. But he yeah, he went he went the other way, didn't I, he? I thought he was really good in that scene, actually. Because um, he looks really like terrified. Mm. And, so we know something's up with this guy, right? As soon as we see him, he says... Um, a very startling line, I, I think. Uh, he says, do you know why you're afraid when you're alone? Mm. I do. Do you know why you're afraid when you're alone? 
do. I do. <laughs> what do you want? But Vincent, he does have a bee in his bonnet. Uh, he wasn't helped, unlike all the other kids of Philadelphia. He doesn't deserve that picture frame with a certificate in it. So what does he do? He shoots in the direction of one Malcolm, puts the gun barrel to his head, and the camera pans away. We fade to black with a gunshot. Right, now, um, can I ask an ethical question at this point? Yes. Can we reveal the spoiler? Because I presume everyone listening to this will know yeah, that. Yeah, that, that such a meme. From there's like, a big twist. Yeah. That's one of, for me, the most famous bits of pop culture from yeah. like the late 90s. No, literally. Yeah, people the, didn't talk about yeah. the film, they talked about the ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, so um, just fast forward the next 30 seconds if you don't, want to hear a spoiler because I want to comment about something in that scene. Maybe he wouldn't have died if his wife had called the police. Instead, she just sort of faffs over him and says, honey, are you okay? Turn over. And she like faffs for for a good while. I'm just going to hang the picture frame. (laughs) She could have been calling the police from the moment she saw there was a fucking weird man in the bathroom. But she just stood watching the situation. She wanted to hear the monologue and it was a great monologue. And it was, to be fair, Mm -hmm. to Donnie Wahlberg. He did very well in that scene. (laughs) So yes, that all does happen. And we'll leave the spoilers for now, please. Uh, But we do cut to next fall. Malcolm seems to be recovered. But he feels, well, something's clearly amiss. It does seem that there has been a distance growing between him and his wife over the over the preceding months. wonder why. And <laughs> he then feels he kind of needs to, uh, after that encounter with Vincent Gray, go back to the kids, you know, maybe restore some of the faith he might have lost with, with that patient he couldn't help. So he goes to meet one cute as a button, Cole Sear. Oh, little H.J. Osmond. Again, we immediately get the 90s trope when he's looking at his notes and it just says, marital status, divorced. So it's like all of these kids are just messed up because they've been mm. divorced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which well, was uh, such, a, such a good 90s touch. And we quickly do meet the mother, played by one Australian cherub, Tony Collette, playing Lynn Sear. She's an Australian cherub. You think that... Tony Collette is my Australian counterpart. I think a lot of women in this world are cherubs, Roshi. Uh, you're an Irish one. But yeah, she's a, she's kind of a, a working class gal supporting a family of two. Yeah. But clearly needs some help because we kind of see some scenes where they're at home. Uh, there's one quite startling scene, Roisin, where uh, Cole is eating his, his Pop-Tarts. And the mother kind of goes in the room and then out of the room. And what happens? All the all the drawers and the drawers. Um, cupboard doors are open. Yeah. That's quite... She goes... Ugh. So startling. Yeah. Oh, my... <laughs> Something you were looking for, baby? Pop-tarts? God. And I love the way the tracking shots they've got inside the homes where yeah. they, it just tracks the mother walking into the laundry room, yeah. putting the laundry and then it tracks her coming back like, from behind and then you suddenly see the... Oh my uh, God, I love what's that. What's happened to the room. I love that so much. What I love about... Oh, we can't talk about this movie without discussing the spoiler. Come on. Yeah, well, just talk about the spoiler. Yeah, yeah. Just talk about it. All right, Bruce Willis is dead. So I love how when you know that spoiler, mm. it paints the the story in a slightly different way. So there's a scene where, what's his name, Malcolm, is at uh, Cole's house and he's sitting opposite the mother. What's mm. her name? Tony Collette. 
<laughs> Lynn Sears. Lynn. He's sitting opposite Lynn and they're just sitting in silence. Yeah. And then Cole walks in and he starts speaking to Cole. But, but the mum walks off soon. And then she walks off, starts speaking to Cole. She's very affectionate to him. And then he just does his own thing. Mm. So that the way they do that is very mm. clever because it is kind of like misdirection, right? Definitely. Well, so having watched it for the first time for this review, but obviously I knew the twist because it was such like a cultural thing. Mm. I, the whole way through when I was watching it, it was I actually found all of that kind of stuff quite irritating. Right. That I yeah. thought it was actually, it was like almost a bit hammy the way like they'd done it. And it was one of the things where like if you then rewatched it, you'd be like, oh, wow, yeah, I get how they done this. But it kind of, it irked me a little bit that they had to make it like so obvious. Mm. Whereas a film like The Big Lebowski, where there's a lot of like internet talk about is Donnie, uh, Bush, Steve Buscemi's character in there, a figment of John Goodman's imagination because John Goodman's got PTSD from uh, Vietnam. And like you watch it, you don't really know, but it's kind of like you <laughs> think, oh, I know how like you could think that, but it's never made clear because like the Cohen films are so ambiguous. Whereas here, I didn't like how it was just so obvious that like if you went back and watched all of it, but like, oh yeah, he never spoke to her. Right. They never acknowledged him. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Right. So yeah, it's a bit heavy handed, but that's just because this is one of the most like famous plot twists of modern movies so mm. everyone knows about it so it just feels like a bit heavy-handed no matter what you do but jeff when you watched this movie for the first time did you know the twist i knew the twist and i still thought it was really well done really but i watched it for the first time when i was like 13 years yeah. old which i think is like the best period of life to watch the sixth sense i, like I was i was getting all like oh i can handle scary movies yeah. and like this is really cerebral but it's like at the end of the day m night Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. yeah right and you watched it at what age probably around the same age yeah. i didn't know the twist so i was like what <laughs> <laughs> and then watching when i watched it like again because i had it on like video probably mm-hmm. um i was like wow this is just so well done this m night Shyamalan is a friggin he, genius he's going places <laughs> he didn't win the oscar this time but next time <laughs> but i have Definitely. high hopes for the lady in the water <laughs> Oh, I actually saw that in cinemas and I kind of liked it when I first saw it. Yeah. On reflection, not that great. Uh, What about the happening? The happening, yeah, that was bad for me. What about the fappening? Marginally better. But when you do rewatch this, it's kind of weird that the the one year break happens and Bruce Willis just out of nowhere is not speaking to his wife. Like he's he's locked out of rooms in his house. There's just something not going on right at at, at home. Mm -hmm. But he just really throws himself into this case. Um, And I I think if you watch this as an adult and didn't Mm. know the twist, but it's impossible for anyone to do that because everyone like knows this is a thing and there's a twist. I think you'd probably get it like about midway into the film. Like once uh, Cole says he sees dead people and you see a few more interactions with... Um, like him and his wife, I think I think the penny would drop, and it wouldn't be, like it wouldn't be a massive surprise. But like, oh, we yeah, obviously this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just get a guinea pig who hasn't seen the movie yeah, and impl- force them to watch <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, but who doesn't know the spoiler though? I'm saying because like the spoiler and the twist like have transcended the film. Yeah. All right. Okay. Get your dad. Let's get um a baby boomer. <laughs> <laughs> Strap them yeah. to a television set. Eric, Eric Clapton. <laughs> let's let's kidnap Eric Clapton and force him to watch Six Sense and test this theory out. <laughs> we also learn around this time that Cole, despite his sort of knowledge of of models from uh Civil War era, is actually quite uncool in school. 
He's not the most popular of children. Well, yeah. He gets bullied. He is a weirdo. So we know that Cole is, is highly unpopular. Back to, um, so we're in the living room. Tony Collette and Bruce Willis, otherwise known as Lynn and Dr. Crow, are sitting opposite each other, not acknowledging each other. Who should walk in the door? The little Haley Cole Osmond. This is when the rapport between the doctor and little Cole really starts to take shape. Uh, so they play a game where uh, it's a mind reading game. So the doc- uh, Dr. Malcolm asks him to take a step closer every time he's successfully able to read his mind and just take, take a step towards the door every time he's wrong about something. So now this is a good plot device because we end up learning a lot about Cole's character just from this small game and the way he sort of behaves within this scene. We learn that he's still attached to his father even though his father isn't around anymore. Mm. We learn that he's also got a secret. Fucking hell. <laughs> wow. No, nothing to a, add. A, a, a boy from a divorced family that still likes his father <laughs> and has a secret. <laughs> it is so complex. Uh, Dr. Crow is essentially a replacement father figure in many ways. I would say that, yes. <laughs> Some psychologists would say that he's mm. so. <laughs> Act two. So a few things happen uh, around Act Two. Um, one, we learn a little bit more about Malcolm's situation with his wife. They go out to dinner. Uh, really, maybe this was one of the parts where you thought it was a bit heavy-handed. They're out to dinner. They're having a lovely lobster uh, and steak dinner, both of them. No, he turns up late. He tur- Sorry, yeah. And she's just finishing her dessert, like dragging her fork along the plate. <laughs> Like you do. That's, yeah, that's such, that is the classic cinematic scene of like bad dinner. Like dinner not gone well. Someone just scraping their dessert <laughs> with their fork against like the bone shiner and just looking really pissed off. And he then turns up and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm working on a case. And he's like, oh, you know, you're not going to talk to me now? And uh, she's just like shrugging and asks for the bill and then as he goes to like put his hand in his pocket to pay she then like just gets her credit card out and gives it to the waiter uh-huh. so it, it kind of I can see on the one hand it looks like she's giving him well like they obviously wanted the audience to think she's giving him the cold shoulder because he's turned up late and then she then says happy anniversary Anna, I know that I've been a little distant I, I know that it makes you mad I just feel like I'm being given a second chance and I don't want it to slip away. Anna. Happy anniversary. But I did think as well, because obviously I was watching it knowing, having not seen it, but knowing that was the twist and knowing he was dead. I thought, bit weird, isn't it, that you'd go out for like an anniversary dinner and say out loud, <laughs> happy anniversary when your husband died a year ago. Would yeah, you do that? I don't, I don't think I'd do that. Yeah, but that's just, come on. She's give her. You have no time for widows. I have no time for grieving. <laughs> Not just widows. <laughs> Those grieving widows. Fan. Yeah. Whatever. I, I don't like subcategories of grieving. Worst. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think that's a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> if I was the waiter, I'd be like, "Ooh." I also. Okay. She's now, not going to tip well. Yeah. Now that we're being fully transparent about the twist, um, can I just make a point? and say that how fucking delusional are these ghosts he 
he sat there at dinner. God knows how long he's been there. And they just haven't spoken the whole well, time. And I, I, also, so I also think that's part of the male gaze of the film, where it's like Bruce Willis is just like, ah, oh, women. <laughs> She's given me the cold shoulder for the whole year. <laughs> um, around this time, uh, Lynn, uh, Mother Lynn, starts <laughs> what why did Lovely that make you laugh so much <laughs> uh good old mother mother hubbard lynn um she starts to notice something a little bit fishy about her son <laughs> losing the surname seer like seared salmon <laughs> i i get it i see where you're going with that um well again i think that's like really heavy-handedness by just the film <laughs> the, that something's fishy. And they gave them the name Seer to suggest that something's fishy. No, that he sees things. He's a seer. Oh! No, that makes way more sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like where you're going with that fish thing, though. Yeah. So this is also around the same time that she looks in little Cole's room and finds some upset words. Mm. Mm -hmm. Something very startling, I would say. Uh... Bastard was one of the words I do recall. Um, That'll upset upset anyone. <laughs> that is a very yeah. strong word. Then another another one of his like schoolings was like Australia should be a republic. <laughs> Get the queen out. <laughs> very very upset words. Yeah. This, wait, yeah. this, this is just Jeff's frig writing. <laughs> the queen is a bastard. <laughs> just the ramblings of a mad Australian. <laughs> so, just in the subplot as well, Doctor Crow and Anna Crow's marriage continues to deteriorate. This time because of a gentleman caller. Uh, calls around to the house, tries a classic pickup line with Anna. She doesn't respond. And this is when possibly my favorite line of the movie occurs, which is when she, he, so she sends the gentleman caller away. Dr. Crow, who's watching this, says, yeah, keep moving, cheese dick. <laughs> <laughs> cheese dick. Keep moving, cheese dick. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's a very Disney in- insult. This was a Disney movie after all. It rivals Jerkneck. Jerkneck College. Yeah. In my opinion. It's the PG-13 rating of, of Jerkneck. Wasn't there one in Cool Runnings that was like a, a bit like that? Like Jerkneck. Jerk chicken. <laughs> that was it, yeah. <laughs> That's just a delicacy. Uh, something I was thinking. What do you think of people that try and hit on widows? <laughs> well, like this really, guy's doing. Are you he... asking for a friend? Yeah, I've, I've got a friend. <laughs> is he hitting on her though? He's just yeah, kind of, he's, is, is, she's into it too. He's just making the moves. Yeah, but and he, he then makes the move later on in the film as well. But um, well, I guess she's like, been a widow for a year. Yeah, I think that's still, fair game. But she's still going for the grieving process. Yeah. Do you think it's fair game to like really hit on someone? I going think for so the because process? I get the the sense that they're like mates and that there's like a bit of flirtation between them, but they're neither of them like really wants to make the move. It's def it definitely is not like just hitting on her at a bar um i like the glimpse we get into cole's school life not a very pleasant school no a startling history <laughs> <laughs> yeah like like they all of their buildings that they live in are so perfect to build the atmosphere yeah. all these old like victorian era Philly. like mansions and yeah. uh, gothic buildings exactly 
um, this is when we start to see that even the teachers hate Cole because he's such a friggin' weirdo. Shut up, you freak. Yeah. This was one of my favorite scenes of the film, I think. Um, Stuttering Stanley. Stuttering Stanley. Stuttering Mm. Stanley. I thought that was just really well done. Like, the the tension just gets ratcheted up in the scene. You're a stuttering Stanley. Excuse me? You talked funny when you went to school here. You talked funny all the way to high school. What? You shouldn't look at people. It makes them feel bad. How did you... Stop looking at me! Who have you... been speaking to? Stuttering Stanley! Stuttering Stanley! Love it. Yeah, there's a great, like, upward shot from the, like, the POV of Cole looking from his desk up at the... The teacher just slammed his fist down. I loved it. Stuttering Stanley was not happy. Yeah. Um, Shut up, you freak. Yeah, yeah. But man. Choice words. Mm. Almost called him a bastard, didn't he? So around this time, uh, Cole is deepening his relationship with Dr. Crow. Dr. Crow shows him a magic, a supposed magic trick. Cole sees right through it, but then tries to demonstrate it at a birthday party. Mm. Doesn't go down well. So, you know, he does what any child would do in that situation. Follows a red balloon up the stairs. Correct. Well, it's not just... The, a- the stairs that don't lead anywhere apart from to a dungeon and there's a very, like a yeah. two-story staircase. And, and like, it's at a kid's birthday party in like one of his school friends' houses and it's like this gothic Victorian mansion. <laughs> and he sees dead like, people. Who's he friends with? Yeah. <laughs> well, I do believe it's the friend of a friend of Tommy Tamisoso's. Mm. Ta- Tommy Tamismo. I can't say his name. Tommy Tamisoso. He's Japanese all of a sudden. <laughs> That should be on his profile. <laughs> Ethnicity, Japanese. <laughs> Villainy, abuse. <laughs> but no, uh, him, him and the birthday boy lead Freaky Cole up the up the stairs, don't they? Well, they meet him at the top and they then manhandle him into this, this dungeon, which, as you say, is the only thing that's up there, which is just like this perfectly contained like box that's like in just a hole in the wall with like this steel door that closes him. Like, why is that a feature in this house at the top of the stairs? Yeah, with what? no handles for anyone. What yeah. is this house? So they so they lock him in there and he's freaking the shit out. And before well, beforehand, you can hear you can hear people from inside the dungeon. Exactly, you which can would hear be terrifying. You can yeah. hear a ghost saying like, "Please let me out of here." Yeah. yeah. Is someone out there? Open this door, please. I can't breathe. If you can hear me, open this door. I swear in my life I didn't take the master's horse. Open this door, I'll break through it and grab you. So that's scary enough. So he gets locked in this dungeon and you can hear him being thrashed around. And Lynn knows something's up. And she she goes up the stairs, bangs on the door, tries to open it. It's locked. She can't do anything. And then he stops screaming and... Lo and behold, the door opens. So now we know, like the the secret is basically revealed to the audience that Cole can see ghosts. And now it just needs to be revealed to the ghost. So (laughs) we cut to the hospital where little Cole is resting up. Oh, but not before we cut to... M. Night Bloody Shamamalan. The man himself. The man man himself. Fresh face. Young 28-year-old M. Night uh, doing a little cameo as himself. (laughs) Not really. Uh, (laughs) As a doctor. Um, Your script is really sick, (laughs) ma'am. I'm sorry, that's going to need a major rewrite. (laughs) (laughs) We got kind of meta, but I think it's working. (laughs) So yeah, he, he 
in so many words, like uh, accuses Lynn of abuse. Her, he says, your type of villainy, I believe, is abuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we see Dr. Crow visiting little Cole in the hospital ward, to which Cole says, I'm ready to tell you my secret. Bombshell. Boys, what's the secret? I want- see dead people. <laughs> mm. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. I love a good whisper line. Yeah. It's like ASMR before it really got big. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Do you like I that? You should have said, I see dead people. <laughs> now listen to me. Scratch my fingers on some plastic for a while. Uh, this was voted as number 100 in the 100 best lines of all time. I mean, it is, yeah. Like for film, it is a like absolute cultural classic and what an achievement for little Haley joel osmond uh quick fact oh please did you know that michael Sarah auditioned, auditioned for this, for role? this role yes <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine like michael Sarah really saying like, I, I see dead people ironic yeah i <laughs> see uh oh, i see dead people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so dr crow not convinced uh concerned it might be schizophrenia we the audience know better because we start to see these phantasms. The first phantasm that we see is a scary woman. Mm. Knocking around the house. Knocking, yeah. Just <laughs> faffing around the house. She's putting in some Pop-Tarts. Yeah, she's scary, man. She is just, yeah, walking around late at night and is like angry at her husband. Yeah. Why are there so many in his house as well? Because yeah. they're coming for him. Uh, okay. They, they go intentionally for him because they know that he can mm, like, help. Medium. Yeah. yeah. This is around the same time that Dr. Crow attends Cole's school play. And Cole gives him a bit more insight into what these ghosts are, are up to. He says that when the room goes cold and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, that's them. That's when they're mad. That's when they're upset. Now, it also explains why Cole isn't just cold all the time. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes they're just walking around, they're happy. Uh this is also about the time when the bumblebee pendant comes into the plot for the first time. So Lynn and Cole are having breakfast. Lynn accuses Cole of stealing mm. her mother's bumblebee pendant, which she's very fond of. And Cole says no, he didn't do it. And this is a nice bit of character development between the two. When you see like she reaches sort of the end of her tether for the first yeah. time and you realize that that's her breaking point is him lying about her mother so it's clearly like a wound which hasn't really healed yet and she's still getting over that uh she gets angry she sends cole away from the table and that night who should we see but another bloody phantasm just walking around the house this time a teenage boy um who seems innocuous at first, but then we see he's got a bloody great big bullet wound on the back of his head. Mm. Don't want that, do you? Couple of couple of nice shots I like, or a couple of nice scenes. One doesn't really aid the plot that much, but they've um, there's a shot of 
Carl and his mum coming out of a supermarket and he's pushing her in a trolley. Or he's, she's pushing oh, him in a trolley. I love that and scene. It's just, and it's like, they're just so happy at the moment. And you get the sky, you see like the, the top of the roof of the shop they're coming out and they're going through like this parking lot. And it's just like such a, a shot of Americana in the late 90s. <laughs> and the camera's just panning backwards as the trolley's coming towards them. Mm-hmm. And I just love that scene of just like a mother and son just like, just lost in the moment. I really love that as well. And it's like the only scene, or one of the only scenes where we see um, Cole just like really just joyous. Yeah, yeah, yeah and being yeah. a kid, yeah. And then I love that part where he sort of like, they get lost in the moment. And then when it's over, he turns around and looks at her and she sort, mm. she sort of does this like please sh- shrug where she's like oh yeah that can be fun too you know yeah, like it's yeah, not yeah, all yeah. like sorrow and it's not all depression. working two jobs yeah, yeah i yeah. really like that you said that really that's a really like nice scene that i forgot about cool so you're welcome huh you're welcome <laughs> i already thank you <laughs> No, I was thanking you ironically. Oh, I was thanking M9. <laughs> I love an ironic thank you. That's my favourite. Um, you know it's ironic when they, they let you say a couple of words where they go, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I I don't know if it, this is in the same vein, but when someone asks you to do something and then they please. wait, and then they wait two seconds and then say, please, <laughs> that's the worst. Like, Jeff, can you get me some water? Please. <laughs> It takes on a whole different tone. <laughs> or if they've just completely forgotten the please after the fact, it's like, just leave it out. Yeah. <laughs> just right. It, it makes it so much worse. Please. <laughs> please. Uh, anyway, so um, Malcolm says he can't be Cole's doctor anymore. He needs to focus on his distant marriage where they haven't <laughs> spoken for a year. <laughs> you know how women get. <laughs> I don't. I'm no, nine I'm years nine old. Years and old. I speak to dead people consistently. <laughs> you know how dead women get. <laughs> oh yeah, I do. <laughs> um, Cole begs him. He thinks he's the only one that can help him, but uh, Malcolm just doesn't believe it. Um, until <laughs> possibly one of my favorite parts of the movie. Malcolm listens to a tape of him interviewing Vincent Gray, a little baby Donnie Wahlberg uh, from the start of the movie as a, as a child. Lost a shocking amount of weight to play that, that yeah. voice of a child. <laughs> yeah. So he's listening to him and uh, he hears something very peculiar and it's someone <laughs> talking in Spanish at a very low volume <laughs> saying, no quiero morir. <laughs> No quiero morir en este lugar. <laughs> uh, which means I don't want to die in this place. Doesn't doesn't uh, Doctor Crow later on as well say? Do you know what? No quiero morir, that means. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, yeah, so this is the part where he's like, okay, obviously ghosts are real because how the fuck could that happen? Um, I would have liked a twist, although this admittedly had a great twist, if uh, Vincent Gray and Cole Sear were the same person. Thoughts on that? 
Vincent Gray and Cole Sear were that the same been person. Like way like, too much. Yeah. <laughs> Over, way too much. To if that was the twist. <laughs> yeah. On top of <laughs> yeah. Bruce Willis also being dead. It's like a side order of twists. Like, and I'll also, take, I'll, <laughs> I'll also take, I'll also take, in for a penny, in for a pound, I'll take Vincent and Cole being the same person. <laughs> Chevrolet had to be talked out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> talked down. I'll save it for the sequel. <laughs> Act three. Act three. So now I don't really understand how Dr. Malcolm jumps from ghosts exist to, oh, they just want to be helped. They're mm. benevolent, essentially. Mm. Um, I don't know how he gets to that conclusion, but the point is he does. I guess because he's a ghost himself. So maybe that's subconsciously coming out. So he he influences Cole in that way and tells him that the ghosts just want a bit of help. And this brings us, I think, to maybe the crux of the movie. This is where things really start to turn around for little Cole. It starts to turn a corner at this point. Who should show up but young Misha Barton? The girl of the early to mid noughties. Well, yeah, Rudy, you were saying that this is the girl that everyone thought was like the pinnacle of attractiveness. At college, everyone fancied her. Because when you're 16, uh, a tall rake thin woman with long blonde locks is the peak of attractiveness which i said did did me a great disservice (laughs) anyway enough about me what's misha what's misha doing in this scene misha's vomiting she's throwing up like spaghetti hoops or something or (laughs) like (laughs) alpha betty spaghetti like trying to spell out (laughs) no quiero quiero morir in este lugar Oh no, I've, I've got two Q's with no U's. <laughs> I got Spanish Misha throwing up all over my quilt. <laughs> throwing up a rapper. <laughs> this is this for me though was one of the scariest scenes of the film, man. Like yeah. fuck, when when the ghost is like taking off the pegs that uh, oh, yeah. makes up his little tent that he hides in. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so she she's quite uh, intense in that scene. Yeah. And then this is the first time that Cole decides to actually help help a brother out. And I really like this small detail that like he starts talking to her. And I really love this scene as well, like the whole funeral scene. It's so cool, this subplot. Like yeah. it's just a completely different story, but it just works so well. Where little Misha Barton why does she have to be creepy in every scene like they go into the bedroom and instead of she could just like be on the bed or she could like she could like answer the door for them (laughs) no she waits until they come into the bedroom and then grabs his ankle from underneath the bed she was doesn't say a word just passes him a video that character was concerned about creating atmosphere and i i admire that (laughs) She was all about it. Yeah, there's not not enough people in my life that like are concerned with atmosphere, you know? <laughs> creating an atmosphere. So, uh, little Misha Barton, she wants some closure. She does that in the form of passing Cole this videotape from under the bed, but in like a little like trinket case. In a little, as well. in a little like, trinket case. Because you know you get like the cardboard sleeve of VHSs in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Could you just use one of them? <laughs> Where you'd write in pen felt tip. Like mother's poisoning bid. I, but instead she put it in like a little <laughs> elegant carved wooden trinket case <laughs> that just happened to fit a VHS. Oh, sorry. Person. I spent ages trying to find the trying to find the perfect case. The most symbolic case I could. Again. Trying to find the most atmospheric case. Tension. Why don't you just use the cardboard sleeve? No, 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 no. <laughs> That's too heavy handed. Um, so um, they 
pop the VHS in. In the middle of the wake. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a minute, this weird kid I've never met before just handed me a VHS in a trinket case. It's just Michael Jackson's black or white. <laughs> okay, so that's my wife. <laughs> so everything seems completely normal and that, oh dear lord, what is happening in there? Um, so the mother, it's shown on the videotape, has been surreptitiously sneaking some, I don't know, like, like kitchen cyanide. cleaner Ironing. or something in into the soup. Um, For reasons unexplained. I think that she yeah, is just is like, sh- she loves having the daughter being dependent because you s- you hear someone talking at the funeral saying like, and now the little sister's starting to get sick as well. So she's then doing it to mm. the little sister. So she just loves the dependency, I think. Then the next scene we see is is Cole at a school play. And this is like a really beautiful scene for Cole because earlier on in the movie, he's sort of saying his dream scenario of how his day went. And he gets picked first for the sports team and everyone picks him up on their shoulders and chants his name. And then that actually happens when he's in the school play. Oh, I mean, that's like everyone's fantasy though, isn't it? Like I being w- held aloft. I mean, when was the last time <laughs> you guys did that for me? So Malcolm realizes that the kind of work is done. So after this sort of jubilation of Cole being the lead in the time school play. Time to make it up with my wife. Yeah. He realizes. <laughs> sweet, I'll be the bigger girl. man and talk to her after a year. She won't talk to me. <laughs> Women, eh? He uh, he goes off to his wife, but the story's not all over for Cole. And the next scene, and this is the last scene we see with Cole and his mother, because obviously there has to be some resolution there. They're in a traffic jam. Uh, there's been a terrible crash and someone has died. So this is when Cole finally feels ready to reveal his secret. And... I don't feel ashamed to say that I cried at this part. Mm, it's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. So the way it plays out is he says that he can see dead people. Obviously, she doesn't believe him. He sort of describes the the woman and the accident and all of that. Then the way he convinces her, he says, Grandma says hi. And then he says something that he couldn't possibly know, which is that one time the grandma showed up at the mother's dance rehearsal and she looked beautiful and she never told her that. And the mother went through her whole life thinking that she never came. Grandma says hi. She says she's sorry for taking the bumblebee pendant. She just likes it a lot. What? Grandma comes to visit me sometimes. Well, that's very wrong. Grandma's gone, you know that. I know. She wanted me to tell you. Cole, please she stop. wanted me to tell you she saw you dance. And apparently they had to do that scene like it was kind of rushed because it was raining or huh. it was about to rain, so they had to rush through it. And so the, like both the actors like weren't feeling good about that scene at all. And I'd say it's one of the best scenes in the whole movie. Yeah, for sure. Love it. It really gives an emotional pull to the horror because like, a lot of criticism for horror movies is that they, they don't develop the characters. They don't have that pull. But it's so sweet. How do we find out that Bruce is dead? It's a series of concurrent events that he really should have noticed sooner. <laughs> Why is it so cold all the time? Why isn't my wife speaking to me literally <laughs> ever? Uh, he finds out... Because his wife just chilling out. You know, it's a normal Friday night. Bruce Willis comes, joins her. Oh, what are you watching, honey? She doesn't reply. 
that's that's the first indicator the next indicator is that she drops the wedding ring and that's the same ring that he believes is on his hand and then anna talks about how he's gone she's like why did you go away why did you leave me and then he gets a flashback to when little uh cole says they only see what they want to see right so this explains why he's so delusional at this point uh well we get the resolution of the movie dr crow is able to finally move on because he's able to let his wife move on he's able to finally have let uh helped out that little kid that he couldn't have helped at the start so it's a really nice cyclical movie Mm. in that sense and all the the loose ends are finally tied up it's a Um, satisfying watch i wanted to ask rudy this is your first watch mm -hmm. how satisfied were you like the plot and the twist i didn't care much for because it's just so like you just know it's a thing right but what i did like about it was like the atmosphere like it had a very particular atmosphere this film oh yeah which for like a horror you need to have i think that was the most accomplished thing about the film whereas i thought the twist was a bit yeah bit cheap and it's yeah. not that gory for no, a horror no, no. movie like it's scares are based on uh it's a it's very jumpy i think yeah yeah well you kind of had like an atmosphere not dissimilar to like the shining or something like that yeah right where it's just like a slow impending dread with like very like gothic architecture everywhere and like imagery yeah Yeah. did you guys find it scary uh like the ghost scenes are a bit jarring to begin with because you're not really expecting them but i wouldn't say it was like a fright a fright fest i wouldn't say it was a fright fest What would you describe as a I would call fest? it bone chilling. <laughs> <laughs> How many uh, distant conversations with your wife would you give this out of ten? How many months of not speaking to your spouse? <laughs> out of a year. Out of a year. Right, we'll do the year okay. rating. Okay. <laughs> How many months it, of the silent treatment in a year with your spouse would you I'd give, give it winter. Oh, you're doing seasons. Go Autumn. On. Yeah. <laughs> Summer. Wow. Three seasons. Three seasons, three out, seasons of four. out of four. <laughs> of I just wouldn't. sign and treatment. No okay. words. Maybe. Maybe. You okay? Fine. Maybe I'd I'd grab her ankle in, in spring. <laughs> Unannounced from under I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys thinking? How many months? How many months out of the year? <laughs> of sign and treatment. Of, of distant conversation with my wife when I get this. <laughs> um okay i'd give it from yeah about june to september oh sorry january to september mm-hmm. <laughs> i'd go september until end of march why are you starting Ooh. at september well oh, i just feel like starting in the autumn like get the autumn winter out of the way right a, uh, cold, a cold winter yeah and then quit before summer yeah gotcha so really that is just, very six cents just, just a half year for you yeah this is this is i'd only give my wife a half year of silent treatment mm. From, from how I enjoyed this film. <laughs> really, very odd way to process enjoyment of culture. <laughs> Ignoring me. <laughs> oh, it, it didn't didn't do it for you, really. I found Willis's um, kind of strained relationship with his wife tedious. Right. Because obviously, I was watching it knowing that he was dead, and it was like after the first bit in the restaurant. Like every other scene was just exactly the same, but in yeah. a different setting. Yeah. And it was like, all right, I get it, I get it, I get it. Yeah. And dining on your own, weird. Yeah. For an anniversary. The yeah. fact she read that line aloud, yeah. that line aloud, it took three months of the year for you. Happy anniversary, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you hated that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I just think grieve in private. <laughs> don't bring in like... Don't show your emotions yeah, no, ever. Yeah, don't bring in like... Because like if you're a waiter or a waitress, like you're earning minimum wage. 
Like, you're, you're young, you're inexperienced. Degree. And it's like, don't put that shit on someone that's just trying to do their job. I don't think she and, was. She very quietly hours. said to herself, <laughs> happy anniversary. No, but there would have the been... The waiter a, would have no indicator. No, she's the, setting an atmosphere. She's setting you know, an atmosphere. the waiter would have felt the atmosphere. Right, so uh, you're saying if a woman goes no, do to dinner woman, by no. herself... Or man. And is maybe, man. maybe a bit sad about something. Or man. Or man. Uh, the waiter... Or will, waitress will immediately detect that and will be perturbed at the atmosphere. No, no, waiters deal with people, obviously, like hundreds of people an hour. They're very sensitive to picking up atmosphere. That's true. And I wouldn't want my, I wouldn't want like my getting out of the house and enjoyment of having a meal at the expense of a waiter or a waitress feeling a bit uneasy. No, but then you put the because I put the needs of others above mine. <laughs> so the sixth sense. We're in agreement. It was a good movie. <laughs> Well, guys, that pretty much wraps it up for us. I, and again. That was that was uh, that was possibly, shall we say, M Night Shyamalan's greatest hit. Uh, so, thanks everyone for listening, and join us again in two weeks' time for another film from the uh, the eighties, the nineties, possibly the noughties. Probably not another M Night Shyamalan. Probably not. Safe to Don't say. speak too soon. All right. Okay. Bye.